Chapter Fourteen of Pollyanna of the Orange Blossoms. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Claire. Pollyanna of the Orange Blossoms by Harriet Lummis Smith. Chapter Fourteen. A Story Retold. One sunshiny morning in the week following the visit of Sadie and Jamie. Gladys Moore walked in on Pollyanna in a very bad humour. She flung herself into the armchair and heaved an ostentatious sigh, intended to call immediate attention to her low spirits. If this isn't the bum world, she said with feeling. Even in a cheerful mood, Gladys left much to be desired as a companion. She was crude and undisciplined, and, when she gave expression to those sophisticated opinions, which were clearly the echoes of her mother's conversation, even Pollyanna found her objectionable. And Gladys, in good spirits, compared with Gladys in a gloomy frame of mind, as a bright March day, even if blustery, compares with a day of sleet and storm. Yet, with it all, Pollyanna was fond of Gladys, perhaps because Gladys was so unmistakably and sincerely fond of her, and Accordingly, she answered the girl's pettish outbreak with a sympathetic inquiry. "'Why, what's wrong, dear?' "'Everything's wrong.' Pollyanna laughed. "'I know better than that, to start with. Why, the day's beautiful.' Gladys glanced through the window and seemed rather surprised to discover, above the tangle of fire-escapes, a patch of brilliantly blue sky. "'Oh, the day's all right,' she acknowledged grudgingly. "'So are lots of other things.' If you'd stop to count up, you'd find more right than wrong, wouldn't you? Gladys seemed inclined to doubt it. Father's home and doing a lot of grouching. Pollyanna did not wait for the sentence to be finished. Your father home? Why, how glad you must be! Gladys squirmed instead of replying. Then she said sulkily, Father's all right, but he don't understand things, and so he fusses and finds fault. And then the boys! They're up to something the whole time! They're healthy boys and full of life. You ought to be glad they are. I'd be frightened about a child that wasn't mischievous. Apparently, Gladys's recital of her woes had been arranged with a view to the climax. She recounted the culminating grievance with a volubility which left her breathless. It appeared that two nights previous, a woman, who at one time had been intimate with Mrs. Moore, had given a big dance, and Gladys's mother had not been invited. As Gladys told the story, Pollyanna recognized a reflection of the mother's resentment. Some particularly venomous phrases, she was sure, were quoted almost word for word from Mrs. Moore's explanation of the slight. You see, they're jealous of her, the old cats. She looks so much younger, and she's so popular. They're afraid to have her at their dances. Course, my mother don't mind. They bore her most to death anyway. She could have gone to a perfectly grand party that night if she hadn't known about this one and saved the date for it. Pollyanna forbore to express the sympathy Gladys had evidently expected. She only said, I should think you'd be glad to have your mother at home with you for an evening. Gladys changed her position slightly as to get a better view of her hostess. Say, she exclaimed, do you always do that? Always do what? Always hunt for something to be glad about. Seems to me that, when I tell you about something that's perfectly horrid and disgusting, you ask me if I'm not glad about something else. With a little sense of panic, Pollyanna decided that this was a psychological moment for taking Gladys into her confidence concerning the game. 
In her childhood she had told everybody about it as a matter of course, but the utter lack of self-consciousness that had made this possible vanishes with childhood. Pollyanna often recalled, with a feeling almost like dismay, the things she dared to say to older people, and the astonishing forbearance with which they had listened, not realizing that, even by the most jaundiced specimen of humanity, her sunny confidences could not possibly be interpreted as preaching. But now that Gladys had asked for information, it was only right that she should get it. No one was more in need of the glad game than Gladys. Accordingly, Pollyanna answered her question by saying quietly, "'When I was a very little girl, my father taught me to look for something to be glad about, whatever happened. We made a game of it.' "'A game?' repeated Gladys, who was listening with frowning attention. "'I don't see much of a game to that.' "'It's the greatest game in the world,' asserted Pollyanna, with unfeigned enthusiasm. "'And this is how we started to play it. "'My father was a minister in a little mission church, way out west, "'and we used to have a missionary barrel sent us every Christmas.' "'I'm not sure,' she broke off with a glance at Gladys's attentive face, "'that you know what a missionary barrel is.' Gladys confessed to ignorance on that score, though she added, I thought everything missionary was for heathen. Not always. A great many churches send poor ministers a barrel or a box once or twice a year. They put in all sorts of things, not often new, you know, though most of them are fairly good, outgrown clothing and such things. Gee, Gladys burst out, I shouldn't like to have folks sending me their old clothes. That's treating ministers same as beggars. Pollyanna smiled but did not undertake to show Gladys her mistake. "'I used to get awfully excited when the missionary barrel came,' she said. "'I always hoped there'd be something wonderful in it. And one year, when I wanted a doll so much that it seemed as if I couldn't stand it without one, Father wrote a letter to the church that was going to send us the barrel. I think he heard me praying for a doll, and as long as they asked what we especially needed, he put that in. But when the barrel came, the only thing in it intended for a child was a pair of little crutches. Gladys fairly jumped. Well, of all the dirty deals I ever heard of, crutches! Her eyes blazed, then softened as they fell on Pollyanna. You poor little kid, you! That's when we started the game, Pollyanna went on, smiling at Gladys's outburst. Of course, I wasn't glad of the crutches, but Father said I could be glad I didn't need them. And ever since, I've found, however hard things seem, there's always something to be glad about. The game was to find the something, you see, and the worse things were, the greater the fun of finding it. Gladys pondered. And that's all there is to it? Yes. I don't see how a game like that can be a great deal of fun. But you never tried it. There isn't any other game in the world that you can get so much fun out of. But listen, exclaimed Gladys, leaning forward the better to emphasize her remarks. You're different from most folks. You'd get fun out of your own funeral. Pollyanna laughed. If I would, it's because I've played the game so long. Oh, said Gladys, and did not speak again for a moment. Do you mean, she demanded earnestly at length, that playing that game would make me like you? I think perhaps I had what they call a cheerful disposition. But dispositions need to be cultivated just as gardens do. I've had a great many hard things in my life. My mother died when I was a tiny girl, and I was only eleven when father left me. And then I came east to live with the aunt, who had never seen me, and knew very little about children. 
and later I met with a serious accident, and it was two years before I walked again, and much of the time I suffered a great deal. I can't believe that my natural cheerfulness would have carried me through if it hadn't been for the glad game. Without it, I'm afraid, I might have become one of those dreadful complaining people who make life a burden for everybody, and for themselves most of all. Gladys took Pollyanna's hand and held it against her cheek. "'If I thought playing that old game was going to make me like you,' she said, her effort to stifle her emotions, giving her voice an angry sharpness, "'I'd start it as quick as a wink. I don't see how I can be so awfully glad when the boys are so aggravating, and the cook gets uppish and fussy, and father treats mother mean. But that's not so bad as being hurt so you can't walk, and having all your faults die.' She heaved a tumultuous sigh. Suppose it wouldn't do any harm to try, and see if it would work with me, same as it did with you. Pollyanna had hardly time to commend this tentative resolution before Judith arrived, clearly in the depths of despondency. She nodded casually to Gladys, who was not one of her favourites, and proceeded to unburden herself. Well, Pollyanna, I've tried those cakes again, and they're worse than ever. I might as well stop trying to cook. I do wish Russell would be satisfied to give up keeping house and go to boarding. I don't know why he won't, for he certainly makes enough fuss over what he has to eat, and there's no especial fun making a slave of yourself when you know you can't please people. Listen to that now, giggled Gladys, who had given close attention to this lament. I do believe you're worse than I am. She turned on Pollyanna. Why don't you get her started on your game? Pollyanna blushed without replying, and Judith's air of vexation was gradually replaced by a languid curiosity. "'What does she mean by your game, Pollyanna?' Gladys did not give Pollyanna time to answer. "'You know she's different from us, don't you?' "'Different? Why, yes. I suppose so. She isn't fussing all the time, is she, and saying how hard she has things, and how she's worse off than anybody else? Well, that's because she began to play a game when she was a little girl.' Judith looked at Pollyanna as if expecting an empathic denial, but Pollyanna only smiled, and Gladys teased impatiently. "'Tell her about it. Tell her about the crutches.' "'Crutches?' Judith dropped into a chair. "'What on earth is she talking about, Pollyanna? What have crutches to do with the game?' And so, for the second time within a half-hour, Pollyanna told the story of the childish disappointment, transformed by a sunny thought into a sort of prism which, ever since, had painted the hard experiences of life with the colours of the rainbow. Judith listened attentively, but evidently with a feeling her troubles were a little different from those of other people, an attitude by no means unusual. When Pollyanna had finished, she hesitated a moment before she said, "'That would work all right with some things, Pollyanna, but I can't just see—' Gladys could no longer contain herself. "'For the love of Mike!' she burst out. You don't think, do you, that because you can't make cake you're worse off than she was when her father and mother died, and she was hurt so she couldn't walk for a long time, and I don't know what else beside. As a matter of fact, Judith had meant this very thing, but not liking to hear it so boldly stated, she replied with her most chilling air, Of course not. I guess if she could play the glad game, as she calls it, continued Gladys, we can do it too. I'm worse off than you. If you had three brothers and all of them ornery, you'd have something to worry about. Of course you've got a husband, but husbands have to be grown up, and they aren't in it for meanness. 
alongside such a kid as Gregory. I suppose, she added after a moment of reflection, that I can be glad that I haven't got a husband. Not till those boys are off my hands. Even Judith had to laugh at Gladys's first attempt to play the game, but Gladys, intent on impressing her listeners with the extent of her difficulties, as an older sister of three irrepressible boys, rattled on. Now Norman used to be better than the others. He'd let you spank him without kicking so very much, but lately he's getting to be such a smarty. The other day he stole a lot of chocolates out of a box somebody sent mother. I knew he did it, but he wouldn't own up. And finally I told him I could find out easy who did it. I'd just ask God. Judith laughed, and Pollyanna winced, privately resolving to improve the first opportunity to have a talk with Gladys regarding this method of discipline. But quite unaware of her friend's inward recoil, Gladys continued, Well, after an hour, he came round and looked at me in that queer way he has, and said he, Did you ask God about that yet? I told him no, I hadn't had time, and then what do you think he got off? Well, said he, you needn't bother yourself. I asked him, and he said he'd forgotten the kid's name. It was quite impossible not to laugh, and Gladys waited till the outburst was over, before inquiring plaintively, Now, what can you be glad about, if you've got a young one like that to look after? You can be glad that he's not stupid, laughed Gladys. He must be a bright little fellow to think of anything like that. Oh, Norman's nobody's fool, Gladys admitted with a hint of complacency. Nor the other boys, either. They've got awful dispositions, but they're smart. She turned and stared resentfully at Pollyanna's clock, which had improved a momentary lull to lift up its silvery voice. Don't tell me that clock's right. Two minutes fast. I compared it with Jimmy's watch this morning. Well, I'll have to be going. I don't dare be away when those boys get home from luncheon. The last time I was over here for lunch, those kids pelted one another with bread and jelly, and the cook said that, if it happened again, she'd put on her things and walk out. You wouldn't believe it, but there was jelly spattered clear to the ceiling, and it looks like we'd been killing mosquitoes up there. Seems as if I didn't more and get to a place before I have to start right back again. As far as I can see, Judith remarked a little maliciously, you don't have a particularly easy time yourself starting to play Pollyanna's game. Gladys looked taken back for a moment, but rallied almost instantly. Well, I guess it would take practice to play it awfully well, but I'm kind of glad I have to go, cause if I didn't, probably I'd stay so long that everybody'd get sick of my company. But even while she laughed, Gladys was in earnest regarding the game. To this untaught girl, Pollyanna seemed the embodiment of everything admirable. Gladys's devotion to her mother was blind and unreasoning, but, where other people were concerned, she was more than ordinarily sharp-eyed and inclined to be critical. Something fine in the depths of her recognized and revered the beauty of Pollyanna's nature, responding to it as a buried seed responds to the call of spring. And if playing the glad game was going to make her like Pollyanna, then she meant to play it for all it was worth. And Judith, too, while she scraped into the garbage can the cakes which had proved such dismal failures, checked the impatient words upon her lips as she recalled the little crutches in the missionary box. Like most fretful people, Judith saw her own vexations through magnifying glasses 
while it was extremely easy for her to discover alleviations for other people's troubles. Almost for the first time, she realized that Pollyanna's sunny cheerfulness was not due to her having an easier time than other people, but because she had made a lifelong habit of looking for the cheerful side of the most unpromising situations. "'Dear Pollyanna,' said Judith, who an hour before had shed salt tears over her collapsed and hopeless cakes, and she hummed defiantly as she scraped the sticky mess from the tins. "'Anyway,' she said to herself, "'I'm glad we don't have to eat them.'" End of chapter 14 Recording by Claire